This is Michael Cowan, and welcome to Trial Lawyer Nation. You've got to have the right case because if you take it up and it's the wrong case, then you can make some really bad law that's going to affect a lot of plaintiffs. There's always an answer. The joy is in finding. One of the reasons that I love being a lawyer is this exact process. The way we live our life has nothing to do with the presentation sequence at trial. As trial lawyers, we pick up and move on and keep going. You're losing or gaining one out of every 10 jurors, which can really make a huge difference in the ultimate result of the case. Whatever you think about, you create. Learn all you can and never stop. And then have the guts to try case after case after case. Welcome to the award-winning podcast, Trial Lawyer Nation, your source to win bigger verdicts, get more cases, and manage your law firm. And now, here's your host, noteworthy author, sought-after speaker, and renowned trial lawyer, Michael Cowan. Today on Trial Lawyer Nation, we have a, a good friend of mine, someone that has helped me transform my business and my law firm into something that actually makes me money uh, from time to time and lets me sleep at night. Uh, Tim Mackey uh, with Vista Consulting. Uh, Tim is only the second person to be a two-time guest, but he's got enough, I think, value uh, that I have, uh, you know, I, I definitely, there's some things I wanted to learn from him and there is the things that hopefully he can share that will provide value to you. How are you doing today, Tim? I, I am doing great and I'm, uh, I'm, I'm flattered, uh, first of all, of what you just said. And uh, and I didn't know I was the only the second person to be asked back twice. So I'm even uh, double flattered if that's a, a possibility. Yeah, sorry, so. Delamotte was the first, and you're the second. Uh, oh yeah, she's cool. She's cool. She's awesome. So how are you doing? I'm doing great. Um, still in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, is our um, our headquarters, uh, if you will. But we have uh, um, our team is all across the country, and I, I've, I've gotten used to saying we were remote before remote was cool. So uh, we had some insights about that when the pandemic came through. So. Well, you work with law firms all around the country, uh, and we are, you know, we're hopefully at the tail end or near the tail end of this pandemic, although we're not through it all the way through yet. Uh, what are some of the challenges that you've noticed, you know, you've had to work with law firms in, and more importantly, how? what are the, some of the solutions you found? Oh wow, um, pretty broad question. I can I can hit on a few things here. Uh, um, I'll talk the the obvious one first, uh, which was um, having to go remote um, you know, with uh, a lot of our clients. And I, I just said didn't know we were coming in here, but we were remote before remote was cool. So you know we had office setups and Zoom, and we were doing some of those things before. So um, but lots of law firms weren't quite familiar with that. So, um, you know, we helped and they figured out, and I mean, obviously we're not working with every firm across the country, but we actually helped some of our, our clients, you know, uh, understand how uh, to do those things, uh, you know, working remotely. We have always been um, a firm that emphasized outputs as opposed to inputs. So when someone is not sitting in your office, you can't tell, obviously, if they're looking at their computer and doing, you know, banging on the keyboard or whatever it is they do um uh, and by the way i can do a lot of that and 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 not be very productive me too <laughs> but we were the ones that want to measure the outputs as, as opposed to the inputs and not so not seeing people we had to really coach toward okay what are the outputs what are the key performance indicators uh of paralegals legal assistants and attorneys um that we can measure now 
uh, since we can't see them and uh, helping our helping develop those KPIs is what we call them, key performance yeah. indicators, you know, and um, and actually holding the team to a little bit different standard. It's not whether you come in and work from eight to five. It's what is the output that you have. <clears throat> Even when when uh, the teams were in-house, we we um, we emphasized those outputs. OK, but um, that's one thing. Just learning how to rem- work remotely is one. Um, I'm going to give you a little bit of an aside there that I think is is interesting. That uh, I think one of the big losers uh, that that will come out of this pandemic may be uh, commercial real estate. Yeah. Uh, simply because, and I'll give you one example. We're working with a firm in in North Carolina who was bursting at the seams pre-COVID. All of a sudden, everybody went home. We we worked with them on KPIs and things like that. And now that they're coming back, they've decided to do some shift, almost like shift work, but coming yeah. in at different days of the weeks and things like that. So their their real estate issue kind of went away. So that's a positive. Yeah, and, and you know, honestly, Tim, we're really struggling with that at my firm because the you know we we've had a, our numbers are really really good here in San Antonio, Texas. I mean, we have like a two point something percent positivity rate. Uh, you know, the, the case numbers per day are really low and we've got over a third of our firm is fully vaccinated at this point. Yeah. Uh, and so, you know, we've given people the option. And even before that, we had like a small, like no more than 10 people a day out of the 33 could come in per day. And we've given people the option of coming in per day, but not very many people are coming in. Um, and oh. I think it's going to be a struggle, honestly, to get them to come in. <laughs> Well, it may be. It may be. And again, you know, what are your KPIs? What do we want? What do we expect, you know, uh, from our team? And if you're getting the production, my question, not to you, but to, to all of us is, does it matter? If we're getting the production uh, that we want and we're able to measure things that are important, um, I propose to you that that maybe it doesn't matter. Uh, yes, the, the cultural part of things, and, and that's very important. Um, can suffer, and uh, but I think there's also some things we can do to uh, offset that. You know, um, get together, you know, on, on occasion and that kind of thing. So. That's those are actually two things that I want to follow up on that you've mentioned. Mm-hmm. One is the uh, the KPIs or you know the what is that key performance indicators? Key, key performance indicators. So let's say it's like for a paralegal or legal assistant, what are some of the key performance indicators we should be monitoring to know? who's doing well working from home and who's really slacking or, la- or lagging. Some people may not have the best internet or they may have noise and children at home that keep them from focusing. There's a million different things. No, absolutely. Well, first of all, we have to take those things off the table. We have to assure that, you know, if someone is going to work from home, that they do have the, the proper equipment, et cetera, and they do have a segregated workspace and all that, because if you don't get that, then you're probably not going to be productive. So, we have some, what I would say, non-negotiables in those areas. Uh, but the KPIs you ask about are, are really the same KPIs that they would have whether or not they were within the office. And I'll just give you some examples of if it's a paralegal legal assistant who's working, um, uh, you know, obviously with a lawyer under the supervision and they are, uh, the firm's criteria is to contact clients every so often. Okay. Yeah. Then we need to measure that affirmatively. And generally, you do that with a case management system or some other type of system that that allows you to know that they are, in fact, making those phone calls or whatever your type of of contact is. Because, you know, we've uh, 
we've discovered, and it's not a not a, a, a lightning bolt of something new that nothing bad happens when you contact your clients often. Okay, yeah. uh, <laughs> lots bad can happen if you don't. So, you know, measuring those type KPIs, uh, not just with the paralegals or legal assistants, but with uh, attorneys, is very important. If that person is also the um, the paralegals in charge of of getting demand packages ready to go and that type of thing. And again, depending on the type of firms you are, then measuring if they are actually getting to the finish line uh, with those things. Um, we could go into lots of different areas. If you're you're getting med records, you know, how many records are outstanding? What is your time um, that you know you started to try to collect them to when you did? Those are those intervals and measuring those intervals can become key performance indicators to see that people are doing you know being productive and does that have a lot to do with being in the office it doesn't it doesn't really because you got to be productive wherever you are or you're not a good team member right and that's the kind of things we want to get reporting on that's good and solid where you can coach we don't want to go to somebody and say hey you know you got to do better we need to go to them and say hey we noticed that the demand output for example is down Tell me what's going on. What is the issue? And there may be very legitimate issues. Um, that, but if, if not, we need to say, okay, well, here's the goals. Here's the things that we see you may not be doing and therefore coach them up. So I hope that, that's just a couple. Yeah. And I want to follow up before I go to the culture. And I do want to ask about the culture next because that's the other thing that I've been struggling with. I'm just going to be really selfish and get, you know, thousands of dollars of <laughs> consulting time out of you in this, uh, in this podcast. Fine. Uh, but, uh, and, and you're worth it. I'm not, I'm not saying that, but I'm, I'm fully taking advantage. Uh, so one of the struggles I had for a long time, uh, with, you know, you guys helped us develop a, ba- a dashboard so we could measure the key performance indicators, but then you actually have to look at them, remind people, hold them accountable and not have them either blow you off or, or forget to get to it. And, you know, and even have conversations that are uncomfortable early before something becomes a bigger issue. What do you, what, how do you do that consistently? Yeah, I think consistently, and, and I'll, I'll talk about one of the points that I, I say that, that we see in the top performing firms is that they have someone dedicated to that. Um, there's generally, you know, you can call them an office manager, or a, a director of operations, a chief operating, whatever you want to call them, someone is paying attention to those numbers. You know, the fact that we collect numbers and we do nothing with them is a total waste of time, right? Yeah. So having someone who is dedicated to that or at least dedicated um, part time. And I know that's a little bit different. If they're doing one thing, they have to not let that bleed over where they're not analyzing those key performance indicators and noticing who is not hitting the firm standard, the things that we really thought through. He said, hey, this is what our standard is. And if, if your team members aren't hitting that, there's a reason for it. Okay. And we need to find out what that reason is. And, you know, if you've been around us uh, enough, you will always hear us talk about you have to give your team members the tools to do their job, the training to do their job. And you have to very clearly explain the expectations that you yeah. have. And if you do that well and they're, they're not still not hitting things, and obviously the expectations have to be reasonable. If the team member's not hitting what they should hit, we have to ask ourselves, and we've done all those things, you know, why aren't they? Are they, are they unwilling to do it? Or are they simply unable to do it? 
And either one of those things has to be addressed. So um, that's how you do it. You actually just have to monitor it. Believe it or not, as a, um, I've got a friend, an attorney named Steve DeBosier, who says it's work. Yeah. You, you have to take that information, you have to analyze it, then you have to apply it. And um, that's, uh, that's what we coach and that's you know, what we do. Yeah, to me, one of the biggest struggles has been, one, to stop beating myself up on, um, there are certain things I'm not going to ever be good at and are not going to come naturally to you. And the, me being the one to every week consistently review the key performance indicators and talk to people about them and make the time. I mean, I'll do it for a few weeks. I might even do it for a couple of months, but I'm, it's not, it's not me. Uh, I, I am a work on one big project at a time, get excited on one thing, let everything else fall by the wayside type of person. That's who I am. Uh, and so I had to learn to hire someone else and then empower them to actually do the job. And but that's then, why we built the systems that we yeah. did for your particular firm. And every firm is a little bit different. Yeah. Uh, Mike, I, I'll give you, give you a, a, a couple of analogies that, uh, you know, uh, Shaq is never going to be a good jockey. Right. It's, just, it's, it's outside <laughs> of his, his realm, right? And if, you know, the other analogy is, you know, if you judge a fish about how well they can climb a tree, you're, you're always going to lose that one, right? So we have to find out what it is that you're passionate about and good at and get you in that position and remove as much of the other fluff as we can to people yeah. who are passionate and good at those things. And I so, finally, you know, through trial and error, and uh, I finally found the right person and then trusted her enough to do it. But I also found I can't totally delegate it. So while... And, uh, and there's just some things, uh, that if you want to run a business, whether you like doing them or not, you just, you either have to do them or you have to get a, a actual real partner that does them, or you have to work for someone else. And no what argument. I, no argument. What I found is I can have someone else track the data and be the person that goes and, you know, talks to people initially if they're not meeting it. But at the end of the day, I need to be what's called the chief reminding officer. I have to constantly this is important. We have to do this. If we're, and, and I have to sometimes have the uncomfortable conversation, especially with a lawyer. Lawyers really uh, bristle at being managed by non-lawyers, I found. I agree with that, but that doesn't mean the, that it's lack of importance of that, that operations person to bring yeah. those things to your attention. And hopefully they can bring them to your attention in such a way that it's a list where you can dedicate an amount of time to that. Yeah. And sooner than later, get back to what, what you're really good at. The other yeah. thing I'll, I'll point out here is to you is you know, we like to see owners get scoreboards. I mean, we you know, not yeah. be confused with a dashboard, but a scoreboard that says we're winning or losing on these items. You know, we're, our conversion rates for intake is a certain percentage or our, our client contact is a certain percentage. But that doesn't mean you have to be the one to go and look at what made up that percentage, you know, that might be five or six people that are more that are handling intakes or are touching base with clients. And that operations person should be the one to go and coach them. But right. you should keep your never, you know, not, don't lose sight of that scoreboard. Absolutely. I've also, and I don't know what you think of this. We now, for the very, very, our, our most important key indicators, uh, which include client contacts. And that's just not a phone call. That's and I learned this from you. There's a very specific set of things that have to be addressed for it to be a client contact. Like, hey, how are you doing? Uh, a file review that, that has certain things in there. That's something else I got from you. Uh, and we run those numbers weekly at our weekly attorney meeting. It's a five, five or 10 minute meeting. 
but anyone who who is not at zero, we go like you're all caught up, you're too behind, you're all caught up. Hey, you need to go, you need to coach your paralegal. And I found that the the pub the competitiveness of lawyers when you do it publicly, and and you and I'm not doing it in a mean way. No, but I found that 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 has made a huge difference. What do you think about that? No, I, I like it. Um, it. Given a choice, we follow on transparency in just about every area that we uh, we work in, and when we're looking at statistics, um, you know, across the board, uh, we uh, I'll say generally there are some exceptions, but there generally we fall on transparency, and it's for two things. It's for you know to to take advantage of the the um, I think most people have a natural competitive nature. Some don't, but most do. Uh, and, but the other thing is what we want to have happen is someone is constantly at the top of, you know, a 10 out of 10 and someone else is at a seven. I truly want the one out of seven to go and say, tell me how you do that. Yeah. And, and, and encourage that inter learning. You know, you know, we, we often say we do a lot of R and D. At, at Vista, which is rip off and duplicate. You know, it's, uh, if we see something that's really good, now we would never share any, any proprietary information, but systems and processes, we're always on the lookout for what we think can help our clients serve their clients better. You know, that's, that's our whole mission. So if we can see it and we can get interaction even between clients, you know, before we, we started this podcast, uh, you and I talked about some mutual friends. Yeah. that we have in the industry. And you, you can learn a lot from those people. And and we're not the corner on having that knowledge. We we love to be the straw that stirs the drink, if you will, and, and puts people in contact where you can learn uh, from others. I think that is, uh, I think that's natural. Um, I think I, I might have said on our previous podcast, and I need to go back and listen, is there's really two ways to learn. You know, that is get your nose bloody or learn from somebody who has their has had their nose bloody. Yeah. Number two is a lot more fun than number yeah. one. Yeah. <laughs> I think I, now that I'm over fifty, I think I'm finally getting the ability to learn without getting my nose bloodied first. Well, good, 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 good. Uh it took me a long I got a very thick head. It took me a long time to, to just not make the same mistake four or five times till I realized I needed to stop doing it. Never too late. Never too late. And uh the other thing I've noticed with working with you is that you know the sometimes like I said it just takes time for things to percolate. Uh, and one thing that, you know, you really encourage us to have more meetings than we're having, than we used to have. And we'd always be, we don't have time to have meetings. We're too busy to have meetings. And it took me, actually, it took the pandemic to fully implement it. We were starting to get a little better. But now we have, for anyone who's available at 9, at 930, our attorneys have, it's not, it's, it's not something you have to schedule around. So if you have a deposition or hearing, you know, we have a quick 930, what's everyone doing today? Where, where's everyone going to be today meeting? We call those huddles. Yeah, we have a little huddle where you, uh, you know, everybody catches up, usually not yeah. heavy information. Yeah. It's so-and-so's birthday or, you know, we had a great resolution or something. Not not that we're, we're not trying to problem solve there. It right. goes back to culture, uh, Michael. Exactly. That's the beginning of culture. Yeah. So we have like 915 lawyer meets or sometimes the lawyer meets with their team. 930, all the lawyers have a quick meeting. If they're in the office, if they're in a hearing or depot, that's OK. Every, you know, every Tuesday at noon, we have our case valuation lunch. We learned that from you. Uh, and people present their cases and it's really helped one get better value on cases and two sometimes saying, Hey, that's not ready for demand. There's some more work that needs to be done here. Uh, you reminded me of something that may be interesting, uh, uh, to you or to some of the, uh, the folks listening in. Yeah. You know, we've, we've heard over the years of, of the, the uh, terminology of minimum settlement value, MSV. 
you know, and again, I know you're a, a, a lower volume, higher value firm, but still, you know, what's the minimum settlement value? And uh, a friend of mine, a guy named Bill Biggs with the Daniel Stark Law Firm, uh, he really turned me on my head one day and he said, they don't use that terminology anymore. We really? use maximum settlement value or optimum settlement value. We're not just trying to reach the minimum. And, you know, if, again, if you're around this a lot, we say words mean things. I, I think really that's, I love that because, yeah, if you have the minimum, then people just think, well, we're just doing the minimum. Yes. You know, that's not what we want. No, so we're you know. Really, it really turned me on my head, and I, 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 I dig stuff like that. The other thing I learned from Bill, it's, it's not a pre-lit department; it's a preparation for litigation. And when you turn that a little bit, you know, hey, we're not just trying to settle this thing; we're trying to get it ready. Yeah. For some, you know, and so there's a little bit of um, meaning that um, when you when you start using those words, it changes your perspective. And in my opinion, on those two things, it changes it a lot. You know, and uh, you also know that we use the word team member instead of staff. Um, Totally different mindset. And uh, it goes to culture again. That one in particular goes to culture. So anyway. (laughs) Yeah. Well, what I finally found is when we have regular meetings and we enforce them, we didn't, it wasn't a 90 day wonder. We we kept doing it. And part of it, we got forced to do it because of COVID because we're all working remotely. And if we didn't have regular meetings, everything would have fallen apart. But you, once you start scheduling around them, you actually end up being less, you get as much work done without being as crazy all the time. Now, that's been our experience. And again, I, I hope, that, I know you know this, but the attendees, we don't want to meet just to meet. We have a very specific reason for doing that. Uh, I'll tell you a quick story. In the old days, when I was a very traditional CPA doing what traditional CPAs do, um, we were always upset when in, in March, someone brought their tax information in and told us what, what they had done the year before. And if we would have known that in November, December, we could have actually made a difference in tax liability. It's right. almost the same thing with these meetings, that if you if you have the meeting, it creates a discussion. And I call it the provide surface area. It provides surface area to, to move around, ask questions you may not otherwise would have, but at the same time, I don't want a free for all. We want an agenda and we want someone taking notes. And the very first thing you do at the next meeting, you say, what did we decide we were going to do? And did we do it? Yep. That, that, that tends to move things along. Um, and that's just part of organizational development and, and also part of culture again. And that did we do it is such an important part and, and doing that publicly. Uh, yeah. cause it's so easy to, to let it slide because you get so busy being busy. You don't do what's important. Absolutely. Totally great. Each year, the law firm of Cowan Rodriguez Peacock pays millions of dollars in co-counsel fees to attorneys nationwide on trucking and commercial vehicle cases. If you have an injury case involving death or catastrophic injuries and would like to partner with our firm, please contact us. You can reach Delisi Friday by calling 210-941-1301 or send an email to delisi at cowanlaw.com. That's D-E-L-I-S-I at CowanLaw.com. She will coordinate a time for Michael Cowan to speak with you in person or by phone to discuss the case in detail and see where we can add value in a partnership. And now, back to the show. So when you talk about culture, you know, how do we maintain culture when we're not all in the same office every day? 
Um, I think, uh, and again, I believe on our last podcast, we talked about developing an intentional culture. And I'm going to double down when you're not in the same office every day. You have to even more intentionally develop culture. Um, the huddles that are either every morning or once a week or whatever fits your firm um, uh, are important. Uh, having social events are important. Uh, having uh, thought about what are your firm's you know real core values and what are your mission and vision? What are we here to do? Um, and making sure that everyone understands it and making sure that our, I say making sure, doing the best to create the surface area that everyone understands it, okay? Yeah. That, uh, and what is your part in that? You know, the your, your receptionist, uh, you know, we don't, again, words mean things. We don't call them receptionists at this, so we call them the director of first impressions. You know, and that's the person that answers your phone. They, they have to understand that that little bit is the key or a key to get everything started with the conversation or maybe with even a new client um, within the firm. And that's, they fit in, you know, it's almost like a Rubik's cube of how people work through the firm. And we found a lot of times that, hey, you know, and I, again, I'm picking on the receptionist and we don't tell he or she everything. They don't need to know that. Um, I don't think that's right. I think that they need to have a general understanding of what we're here to do and why their role in it is important. And it's that um, it's having some purpose. And I may sound millennial here and I'm way past the millennial <laughs> age. Uh, but I truly believe that understanding the purpose, you know, at Vista is very simple. We want to help you help your clients more yeah. efficiently and effectively. And if you can articulate that, then all of a sudden, okay, that's what we're here to do. And it's helpful. It's meaningful. Um, you know, I, I say too that I, I like money and toys as much as anyone else. But I really get a kick when there's a light bulb moment when we say, oh, yeah, we should do this. You know, this is really cool and this will help. Um, so, um, you know, that's I think purpose is a big part of it and explaining yeah. it is important. Yeah. For the last 10 months, we've started every meeting and, and, I, and I, I even got some comments back like, do you have to say this at every meeting? Uh, and uh, I got this from some of the books by Patrick Lencioni, who uh, yeah. but. We say our purpose, the Cowan Rodriguez Peacock exists to provide a special forces level, level representation of people who are hurt. Our core values are that we constantly seek to learn and improve. We share what we learn and we fight hard without being assholes. What we do is litigate personal injury cases for plaintiffs. Our strategies for success are one, to develop and support an elite team, two, to attract the right cases, focusing on attorney referrals, and three, to maximize the value of every case. And our focus for this next quarter is on developing and supporting an elite team. And I start every meeting and people are like, well, why do you have to say that every time? We know that. I said, well, because I need to remember that because if I don't, I will go and come up with some new, I'll read another book. I'll come up with another idea. I need to, and it's, it's kept us on task and it's really been a great decision maker tool too. It's yeah. like, I, I dig when we that have a lot. close call. It's like, well, what are our core values? It, you know, when we have a, a, a new potential case in, well, this isn't litigating a personal injury case for a plaintiff. Is this such a great opportunity that's worth changing our business model or creating an all new set of systems? Because, you know, if it's not going to make us at least an extra million dollars, no, it's not. Uh, and so we got it in this. It's kept me from doing all the stupid things I used to do. <laughs> I really like that, that you do that. A couple of things jump in my head, uh, two or three things. And I'll try to remember them as I go through them with, uh, I was on the board of a of a, um, a little um, 
actually wasn't on the board. I was a um, um, uh, the accountant for a little private school. And uh -huh. every time they had their board meeting, they read their values and what they were there to do. And it was very powerful. It really was. This is what we're here to do. It kind of gets you focused. Uh, the other other uh, quote is, that I like, and I don't know who said it, was that repetition is the mother of understanding. So over yeah. and over again. And then there's uh, Samuel Johnson, who's a um, the theologian from the 1700s, says most times people don't need to be taught. They need to be reminded. Yeah. And that's what you're doing, in my opinion, of going through those things. And there are probably some people out in the um, in the listening audience today that are saying, wow, this is really soft stuff that, <laughs> that doesn't get us to the to the end of the road. I propose to you if you have really good, solid systems and processes and it, it, that you still have to have people that run them and yeah. having people that care and understand what you're trying to do can cannot. Again, there's no downside to that. In fact, there's a lot of upside. Well, I can tell you that, you know, our, we, I don't think there's any way we would have survived the pandemic, especially survived without layoffs, working remotely if we weren't working a lot on organizational health and culture. One thing I will say, though, on the values is it took us a long time, because one thing Lincioni had us do, um, and it, a couple of interesting things he did is, is uh, you know, make sure the values actually ring true. Is this something you want to be or is this what you really are? Because if it's something you want to be, we put that on a list of what we call aspirational values. We're not there yet. So, like, if we tell our employees this is who we are and we ain't there yet, you know, then then that's hollow. That's not real. But he had a really interesting way to do it. So he said, like, come up with the list of, like, the three or four best people that you have, that you've ever had, you know, and come up with a list of three or more, four or five people that made the law firm better by leaving. Mm -hmm. And then – list all the reasons why the good people were good and all the reasons why the bad people were bad are, are not the right fit for our firm and, and find your values that way. It was an interesting. No, I, I think that, that, that is really good. I think that uh, thinking through what your values are, are is important. Um, it, and I'll bring that back into an operational matter is once yeah. you do that, it's easier to hire because you have a target of what you're looking for in traits. Okay. Uh, you know, I, I propose to you that we can teach people to do a lot of things in law firms, but it's very hard to, to, uh, to, uh, teach attitudes. Yeah. It's hard to teach values and going through a very intentional process of in trying to get a new team member in it, you know, in, Again, I, I probably said this before somewhere along the line too. Is, is the worst thing that we hear it, that we have heard we have that we can hear is we have to hire someone by Friday yeah. because then we don't have time to do those things to to make sure that our the attempt to raise the batting average of getting the right person. That's a cultural fit. Certainly, we want the technical skills and that kind of thing, but they're a lot easier to teach. Uh, so. so can you give us, because that's also, I mean, a huge struggle. And, you know, I found job interviews just test how well someone interviews. And the people that like hop from job to job and falsify the resume tend to interview best because they got a lot of practice and maybe they're sociopaths and they don't mind lying. Uh, so in some people that have been great employees, haven't they, they just don't have great interview skills and they don't need it. So what are some of the things that, that you found actually work for finding employees that have that, they're the cultural fit, they have the good attitude, the good work ethic? 
we believe in the things that you just said so so much that uh, in other words trying to find the ways to do it that vista actually opened a recruitment arm we actually help yeah we if, if someone needs something we actually can help you do that but but there's no secret there's no no real secret sauce to it we just do what we say that everyone should do which is take the time to fish in the right spots make sure that the ads and things that you're putting out there are very detailed you ask for what you want you interview for what you want we have a a longer than normal hiring period because we want to bring that person into the office we want to have them interview and sit beside people that are there and and what we found michael is so interesting is that once you explain to a candidate that this is how this is going to go and it's going to be a little bit different than what you have had possibly have seen in the marketplace before it's going to take a little bit longer it's interesting that they buy into that in most cases because they would rather just like the employer have a good fit and have a a longer term outlook and a good trajectory of employment within any operation not just law firms but within any operation then hey you have a good smile and you friendly and we're going to hire you on friday and then they come in on monday and no one has taken the time to even set up their desk no one knows what they should be doing or worse part of the firm doesn't even know that we have a new person there so Going through those things uh, through a what I will call a very intentional recruitment process, whether you have someone like this or anyone help you with that, you know you can do these things yourself. But again, should you do should you be is still the question, you know, because right. it's taking time away from what maybe the real expertise of your operation is. So um, again, I, I hope I'm answering your question, but it, you, yeah. it takes a little longer, and you got to dig a little deeper. I kind of like the idea of y'all's recruitment. I, I, you know, I didn't realize you did that because the one of the issues I've had with recruiters uh, is they are also getting hired by people that want to find a job. Uh, and I've had them try to place some people with me that are clearly like, dude, come on, you know better than this. But I think because they're trying to help their other client, they, they've, they've tried to make some placements that just were not the right fit because there's that inherent conflict when you're representing both job seekers and employers. Well, that's why, you know, again, the, the, the good recruiters structure uh, their compensation around longevity yeah. and have, have some, I'll say, some guarantees. Yeah. And, and part of the guarantee is going to fall on the, the, the actual client, too, because we're going to say, look, here's the things that you need to do within to keep onboarding them and keep them learning through their first year. Yeah. Uh, and, and by the way, I, I believe in fishing rather than hunting when you uh, when you uh, hire. Um, and what I mean by that is, you know, you, you've heard the term head hunting. People that go out and call yeah. and find someone. Um, I, I really, you know, have a, an aversion to that in that, you know, if they will leave somewhere else and they're not ready to leave, I propose they may leave you for the same reason. So what we want to do is, is fish and attract people to your firm that are um, uh, looking, if you will, or maybe they're not quite satisfied. And the way that we attract those people is has to do initially with just how we present um, the um, potential employer. Yeah. You know, and, and then maybe we even put some things going back to culture. You know, we have a little bit of a funky culture. You know, our, our, our culture is this. And you, 
And yeah. then when you we do the interview process, they actually can see and feel some of that. And you're, you're more likely, again, again, never going to bat a thousand, but you're more likely to raise the batting average to get someone good in. Because once again, and you know this, that you cannot measure the cost of a bad hire. No, uh, absolutely. It, it, that's why I propose you should do everything you can to raise that batting average um, to get the right person in and, and have them outline what their career path is and all those things that generally don't happen. Yeah. We try to make happen. And that's what raises the batting average. Yeah, we're even trying to start a, a, a we do not have a paralegal opening and we're hoping not not to have one anytime soon. But we're starting to identify people that are potential candidates and to start training them now. So that when eventually, either through growth or attrition, there's an opening, we don't have to go to the outside. No, I think that's that's very very wise. We're all about cross training too, yeah. and promoting up first. Look within first before you go out. And and what you find, what we found most times is, let's just say, and I, I don't want to uh, differentiate too much between a superior and a lower level position. But it's usually easier to promote someone from within that you know into some step up, if you will, level right. them up, as opposed, and, and it's easier to backfill that lower level position and begin the training process there. So, well, one of my my biggest struggles in hiring are actually with a paralegal and and what I call docket lawyer, a lawyer that's going to handle a docket on their own positions, because we have over the you know last twenty something years developed a way of doing things that's very specific and, and it's not negotiable and, and uh, we have a lot of struggle uh, with people coming from the outside that have done it a different way for 20 years and don't want to or don't realize why it's like I'm doing it this way because I got my nose bloody when I did it your way uh, and so, you know. so, uh, so ladies and gentlemen of the audience I'm going to consult with Michael Cowley <laughs> You bring that guy, that guy or girl in, lady in, and you show them what the non-negotiable Cowan law firm way of doing things are, and you communicate very clearly that it is in fact non-negotiable. So if you have issues, then you may not fit here. And we don't, that doesn't mean we don't like you, love you. You yeah. might be a great lawyer, but we're going to do things um, your way. And those are non-negotiable. And by the way, here are the key performance indicators that we're going to be watching. Here are the things that we want you to know. And again, and what again, when you get that right person who really gets excited about that because yeah. they come from a place of chaos, they like that structure. Yeah, I find it's a six to twelve month adjustment period. <laughs> and part of it is, you know, them, you know, me realizing I really meant it. And it's not just I mean, I have to keep saying it over and over again or reminding people over and over again. And two, the couple of times when they slip and they see the consequence. Right. Like, oh, there's a reason why we do it this way. Yeah, it works better. It's you know we don't do extra work because we want to do extra work. We do these things because we don't do them. Bad things happen. Absolutely, it goes back to you know, a little bit what I've talked about earlier: the why behind things. Yeah. Why do we do things? You know, uh, I'm reminded of a time when uh, we uh, we were, were part of my team had a meeting the following day, and and the young associate uh, didn't want to make all the copies the night before that we would need. And, and he, in fact, didn't. And so the next morning when the copy machine had a problem, we had a crisis. Yeah. If we would, you know, if part of our system is that we prepare for meetings at least a day in advance, if at all possible, then, th then those are the whys. 
Yeah. And yeah. once they um, they get ingrained, and uh, I'll go a step further and say that they become a discipline. You know, I'll say the highest performing firms develop a discipline. Uh, not that um, you know you can't be motivated to do things for a short period of time, but when you develop a discipline, it's very different. You know, um, and it might not look like it, but I, I go to the gym three days a week. And I, I even when I don't want to, even if I walk through and don't do much, I have this discipline that has somehow gotten in there. And again, I'm not saying that's better than anybody else or anything like that. But you can develop those type, type of things, you know, along, uh, along the lines of client contact. Yeah. Uh, you know, and we all always say that we have a one question that, uh that has to be asked before you move on in a case is you have to ask the client truly, how are you doing? You know, tell me what, and we, and that's the one question, Michael, that we want, you know, either face to face or on the phone, because in a text or an email, if somebody says, you know, fine. I'm okay, or I'm fine, you know, you can hear it. I'm okay. You know, then you want to dig deeper, yeah. right? So there's a little bit of discipline that comes into those type things. Well, I text them and they said they're fine. Well, nah, no. that's not that's not the deal. Um, anyway, I mean, you text someone to say, "Reminder, you have a deposition tomorrow." Uh, <laughs> reminder, you got a doctor. Or what did the doctor tell you at your appointment tomorrow? That's a great text. Uh, how are you? How are you doing? Uh, you know, how are you feeling? Do you need help getting the doctor? Those, those are too. those are in-person questions absolutely in person or on the phone for sure you have Um, any concerns you want to talk to the lawyer about i mean that's and so you don't wait until the client calls upset you you do it in advance on a regular basis no absolutely i'll tell you one other thing that we 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 noticed in some firms that are not performing as well and it's just an indicator of of some things that need to be worked on is one of the questions we ask uh, uh, usually paralegals or legal assistants so whatever your terminology is case managers is how much time do you spend on the phone answering questions from clients who are checking on their case? And we've heard anywhere from 5% to 75%. And, you know, that tells us that they're not doing a good job in proactive yeah. client contact, which is one of the key performance indicators. And, and it just, uh, it's a time suck. And uh, when we hear that, we know that there's not a lot of discipline in place at this particular time. doesn't mean it's a bad thing. It doesn't mean, uh, but it needs to be worked on. Yeah. And it's always going to be a work in progress. You're never going to get it perfect. (laughs) Are you interested in attending Cowan's Big Rig Boot Camp? This year, we'll be hosting the seminar in San Antonio, Texas on May 20th, 2021. In-person seating is available, but will be limited per state guidelines in order to provide a safe event. And if you'd like to attend virtually, we'll be offering another professionally produced seminar available via Zoom. For more information, visit www.bigrigbootcamp.com to sign up for our mailing list and find out details as soon as they're available. I want to talk a little bit more about culture. You know, now that we're getting back... Uh, to having the ability to work in offices again. And I know some firms have been working in offices all the time, but I know mine is in, you know, we're slowly starting to transform from, you know, all virtual to we have, you know, some, I'm actually in my office right now, some optional in, in office. And eventually some people are going to have to work in the office. And, uh, so what are some things though, when people are working virtually, but you can get together again. So with, you know, cause the zoom happy hour gets old real quick. Yep. Uh, what yeah, are some yeah. things we can do to keep, 
our firm culture and keep together if we're going to work remotely? Uh, I think, you know, the, the Zoom happy hours are one thing. I think um, those those morning huddles that you're talking about where it's not um, uh, long and not serious um, and to, to maintain those regular meetings that were happening in-house, the, you know, that doesn't mean um, that you, there can't be some levity at some point later if you want to do, you know, once every two weeks get together to just talk. But that it really doesn't work. Culture really comes from the day-to-day touches, you know, from within. Um, I'll tell you something that we do in, in Vista that um, uh, we've shared before that, uh, that that has really become part of our culture. And it's that if something good happens, no matter where, with uh, all of our consultants or team members, that that is something good that maybe a client said or there was a victory in 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 getting a, um, a process in place. Um, our, everybody has the right to send an email to everyone else on our team with the caption and the subject that's just HSD. Um, and that HSD sa- stands for High Satisfaction Day. And it, it's basically bragging on yourself a little bit. Yeah. That, we got this accomplished and such and such a team is happy with this. Or let me let me snip an email that someone gave us a thank you because something happened. We share that with the team and, you know, it takes three minutes to do it. But just about now what happens is just about every team member jumps on that, you know, way to go, you know, kudos or something. And and it keeps us going a little bit. And it does the other thing of remind us what we're in business to do. Um, You know, I propose to you that that just about all business is relationship driven. And maybe I'll change that to say all business is relationship driven. Um, You know, if I wanted to work for you just because you were going to send me a check, um, it's probably not a good way to start things. Yep. Um, you know, uh, uh, this, I'm going to throw a name out here that maybe people will be happier. Uh, maybe they love him or, or they hate him. But Nick Saban, the uh, football coach at Alabama, talks about process. process Absolutely. Process. And and we believe that, too. Um, yeah, we glance at the scoreboard. We want to make sure the score is where it should be. But I still propose to you, if your processes are solid, you're going to win a lot more than you lose. You can uh, love Nick or hate Nick, but he wins a lot of games, and you can't. That was my point. He wins a lot yeah. of games, uh-uh. and it's over and over and over again. And I, I, I like that. But I also say that goes all the way back to Vince Lombardi. You know, you heard his famous statement, "Gentlemen, this is a football. We got to start with basics." You know, John Wooden. Let me show you how to put on your socks. Um, these principles are not old. We just need to be reminded. Yeah. I got. I have thirty minutes with Jimbo Fisher tomorrow, so I'm. I'm trying to think on what I'm oh, going to ask him. Uh, but it, I'm more interested in about process and how he's so tough on people and have them still love him. Yeah, well, that's tough. And I'll I'll, I'll jump in with another another quick story. And I, I know, Mike, I'm probably not hitting everything you want, but oh, Bear that's Bryant, okay. I'm loving this. Yeah, Bear Bryant. Bear Bryant. Bear Bryant way he used back to coach here. for Texas A&M before exactly. he before he went back to Mama and, at uh, Alabama. Right, but when he coached at A&M, you may know the story when he took the kids to Junction. The Junction, the Junction Boys, yeah. The Junction Boys, well, you know, and, and he, I think he left with 70 and came back with 45 or 50. I don't remember the exact numbers. but It was awful, yeah. Uh, but later, what he realized and what he wrote in, in his, um, uh, I think it was an authorized autobiography, was he he admitted, if you will, that he made a mistake there. He treated everybody equally. 
and it happened to be equally bad. But what yeah. you realize later was that what people want is to be treated individually. And, uh -huh. and he learned who he needed to kick in the butt and who he needed to pat on the butt to get the performance. That's what we do every day. And I'm not saying yeah. we scream and yell at our, our team members here. That's not it. But yeah, sometimes, I, I, you know, consequences mean things more. And, so, you know, you can, and if you're good at managing, which again, going back to that COO, that operational person, right. the good ones can recognize that. Just like Bryant recognized he had a talent for it. Yeah. Good operational people can recognize that what motivates and inspires people to develop a discipline. That's what we're trying to do. So, uh, again, off the subject, maybe a little. No, that's not. <laughs> I, I, I talk about college football all day long, too. But, yeah, no, the. Uh... Hey, well, hey, you mentioned one other thing, and I got off the subject earlier about, you know, what happened you know, through the pandemic. What did we notice? And we, I think we. Yeah, only I'm sorry. We only hit on the remote thing. Yeah, what, what are the other things you found? Well, what we saw was a really a downturn in intakes in most cases, especially not generally maybe for your firm. No, everybody. <laughs> everybody had a downturn in intakes. Well, you know, I propose to you that that's time really to take stock and looking at the cases that are in-house and really, uh, you know, there's two ways to grow a law firm. It's to get more cases, have more cases, and to increase value. That in the in the early days and maybe still even now through the pandemic, um, while case volume may be down a little, concentrating on that adding value area and what can we really do there? We saw firms increase case value, which actually made up for the lack of volume. But I also propose to you that there's generally in firms, especially the higher volume firms, that need trial dates to force. Um, resolution of cases and those trial dates went away that there's a reservoir of cases that are there that will eventually go over the dam. We just have to realize that there's a dip. And you asked me about books earlier. Yeah. It's, it's, it's Seth Godin wrote this little book that is just about dip. The dip is when you're, we know you that you're, you're going to come out of something better, but by starting the process of improvement, you may go down a little bit first. Right. Um, recognizing that that your firm may be in a little bit of a dip, but you have a reservoir of cases and you really should be concentrating on higher value and adding value. Um, we've seen firms that actually didn't experience as much of a dip as they otherwise may have. Um, so, uh, you know, it's funny, uh, too, that, that most uh, lawyers that are um, that are practicing law and not necessarily running a firm. They want a, a, a real heavy, generally a heavier caseload, but there's only so many, if you think of it as a reservoir, there's only so many that can go over the dam anyway. Right. Let's get concentrated on the ones that are there, not the ones that are coming in to your reservoir. Your reservoir may be a little bit low, but it's not dry. <laughs> so, yeah, well, I found there, you know, there is an optimal and I'm still focusing on what it is and it's different yeah. depending on the case value and how much work it is. But there is a level at which adding more cases actually decreases the revenue because you're just putting out fires all the time. And you don't Amen. have time to move it forward and you're getting continuances. You're not able to send out a demand or you're doing it half-assed because, you you know, you don't have time to, to really read everything. So, and of course, if you also, if you have too few, that's a problem too. But just finding that that number and it's, well, we it can be lower word, than you think it is. We use the word optimum, you know, yeah. um, and, and, and most times we want we say we want to maximize things, 
But again, if you, you go back to my theory of words mean things that a lot of times when you maximize, let's think about a machine. If you're maximizing its output, it's much more likely to break down and have deficiencies. Right. If you back off just a little bit and try to find that optimum um, um, speed, if you will, and, and effectiveness, then it's more likely that your system will last much longer. And the, the example of a machine, the machine will last much longer. Uh, I think it works that way through our businesses. I, I know, again, using our firm as an example, we have an optimum number of uh, clients and customers that we can service and service very well. It's hard to tell someone, hey, you know what? I'm not going to be able to get there for a couple of months or whatever the term is. But we explain the why. You know, you, you like you said, you get too many in the system, it can actually muck up or slow down the system itself, and then everyone suffers. So it's up to, I'll say, you and me as the managers to look at those things and make those decisions. And I'm not going to say we make the decisions right all the time, but if you ignore and you want to say we want to maximize everything, I propose to you your machine might break down and, and that can it takes longer to fix one that's totally torn up. <laughs> well, even the you know, even pushing a case to trial or not. So, you know, most of the time, if you say no, 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 and you get all the way to the courthouse, you will get a higher offer than if you settle six months before. Yeah. Now. On a catastrophic injury or death case, it's almost always worth pushing it. There are other cases where the increase in value versus the increase in the expenses the client's going to have to pay. And frankly, if you look at the amount of attorney work you have to do for that, you may be better off taking 10 grand off your fees and getting it done six months in advance than doing $50,000 of legal work to make the extra 10 or 15 grand. And I propose to you that, and I know you do this, you need to think, you should think about those things and, and analyze those cases on just the criteria that you laid out. Because lots of times when we're working so hard and so fast, we will miss that. You know, we'll, yeah. and again, I'm not talking about your firm or any firm in particular, but you don't want to settle short and, and that's not good for the client. And you don't want to do what you just said, saying we're going to, it's going to take another six months to get you another X and X is not worth it. So yeah. that's and that they, optimum. And or at least tell the client that's what it is and they can decide whether X is worth it. No, most of the time, it, I mean, they're much more anxious to settle the case than we are most of the time. They may say otherwise, but when you put it to them, like, you know, I can get $500,000 in your pocket today, or you can wait another year and maybe get 550 or 600, you know, usually within a week or two, they're going to say, can we just get this thing done? I've got stuff to do. Yeah. No, but that's again I, where I say that you, you as a lawyer should take his lawyer cap off and put the counselor cap on because you're an attorney and counselor at law. Yeah. Okay. Well, sometimes we miss that counselor part. And I, I think that's very important. And, and when you're in tune with that and you're in tune with the client, you can get that right more often than not. Enjoying the episode? Do you wish you had Trial Lawyer Nation on the go? Well, wish no more. The Trial Lawyer Nation app is available now exclusively on iOS devices. Access our entire podcast library, create a favorites list, search for old and new episodes, and much more. It truly is Trial Lawyer Nation at your fingertips. Download this free app now and enjoy the top legal podcast for plaintiff attorneys wherever you go.
So what do you see as some of the opportunities uh, in, you know, for personal injury firms as we're moving out of the pandemic to improve? No, I think uh, we need to take stock of, of what silver linings that the firms may have found through the pandemic. We talked earlier about real estate. We talked about uh, being much more um, reliant on out measuring outputs and KPIs and looking at firm criteria than we may have otherwise been when we could walk down the hall and see that uh, Jimmy and Susie are in their office and they sure look busy. Um, so that's good. You know, I propose that measuring um, um, some of the good that's come out of it. And I don't think that was your exact question, but yeah. I think we, we look at, we should look at those things. You know, what did we learn? Um, you know, our entire conference last year, uh, we did virtually and we pivoted and within two, you know, that's a word that I, I don't like, but we changed and we decided yeah, yeah. that we were going to go from in-person to, to virtual. And in a couple of weeks, our team tackled that and we learned so much about how to put on a virtual event that now all of our events are, are going to be hybrid. Even if we can go, um, you know, go there. By the way, we're having a conference in Dallas on the 6th and 7th of May. Yeah. And unfortunately, we're not airing till the, uh, oh, May. Yeah. Oh, oh, yeah. No, we're going to air on the 15th. So that's perfect. Yeah. Of May. Again, this is not about selling our conference. It's about, you know, we're doing it, you know, uh, uh, in person. And we're also going to stream it. And you have a, if I wasn't in trial that week, I would be there. You have a, no, I've, I've, you know, I get your emails and I actually read them. Uh, and you've got a, you know, I'm going to talk to my operations manager and see if she can make it. But it's definitely, uh, it's definitely something I thought would be very useful. Well, well, look, we learned, we learned a lot and we're trying to, you know, I think, you know, again, it's a little bit more of a life philosophy is what, you know, when you do get your nose bloodied, you have to take a step back and say, what did I learn? And um, sometimes uh, you know, we, we learn some things that are very helpful. Um, I'm going to touch on one thing, and I know we're probably getting close to time, but when we, we touched on before the, um, the, the podcast began was, you know, what has happened in Arizona with um, no, Utah, uh, Utah with the public ownership. Yeah. Yeah. The Arizona, ownership. Arizona was the first. I think, oh, Arizona's it, done it. I know Utah just did it. Yeah. Utah just did it. And there's okay. a couple of other states that are in line. And again, I'm not going to tell you that I know exactly what's going to happen with that. Well, explain um, what it is, because I don't think we, you and I are understanding each other, but we haven't articulated what we're talking about. Well, they, they, there were laws passed within those, those states that now allow non-lawyers, uh, non-attorneys to own a part of a law firm. And there's a whole lot of discussion about what does that mean? You know, there's a concern about ethics. There's a concern about the big... Um, maybe uh, hedge funds or public or private money coming in and attempting to direct um, uh, settlements and things like that uh, within firms. Certainly there's a concern of that. Um, it could happen. Um, my personal belief is that it won't uh, because, um, you know, that I know lawyers and, and you guys can be pretty hard headed. You know what you want and you know how you're going to ethically treat a client and no matter what it, yeah, it's more about you know it's more about getting that done yeah money and toys are great but you're not going to risk uh licensure and that kind of thing because somebody wants you to settle a case to hit a specific number um uh, i wish i had your confidence because I've, I've seen that happen in, in law firms owned by owners I, owned I, by lawyers unfortunately no, no, and, and i have too but um i propose that there's going to be now some real um lines between what can happen 
there uh, in regard to the owners that are not lawyers and the owners that are lawyers. There's going to be some discretion that has to be put in place. Uh, we've, we at Vista, we've looked at what happened in Australia uh, because they've had non-lawyer ownership for a while. Totally different system. They don't have the contingency system as, as much as we have here in the States. Um, but it's kind of the wild, wild west over there. In other yeah. words, they don't have many rules uh, in in um, in uh, Australia. But contrast that with um, they have they have uh, non-lawyer ownership in the United Kingdom and in England. Uh, they have many, many rules that you, that you can do this, you can't do that. There there are firewalls in place. Right now, we don't know exactly what the rules are going to be within these states. And I propose to you that, like anything else in this country. Uh, states are proud to be a state and they want to say we're going to do it our way. Yeah. So there's going to be a lot of different ways. Um, maybe they'll line up, but they haven't started to do that yet. So what the criteria may be in Utah may be different from Arizona. I know, I think it's California and Florida that are the other two that are, that are really looking or close on that. Yeah. So I'm not saying that, that, that we have the, the crystal ball of how this is going to work. But I will tell you, we were watching it very closely. I think that, um, you know, we've already seen some firms, uh, even pre non-lawyer ownerships that are, that are becoming large national firms. I'm not going to mention any names, but you probably know the one, the big one that's out there that, yeah, that's going across the country. I have, you know, have nothing but, you know, great. That's good. But I think that we're going to see that more as a trend. I don't think it's within the next year. But in the next 10 years, I think we're going to see some consolidations. I think we're going to be looking at things a little bit differently. And, you know, we're trying to, you know, as someone that, that wants to be kind of on the bleeding edge of what's going on, I mean, that's our, our business to see that and, and advise. We're watching it very, very closely. Um, again, I don't have any advice or anything other than to be aware that these things are out there. And, um, you know, uh, it. We always say that the the most well-run firms from a business standpoint and have really good lawyers, too, are going to be the most attractive and the ones that um, the, the larger entities are going to, going to want to bring into their fold. Yeah. Um, you know, good or bad, and you think what you, you, you might think, that, you know, the, the horse has kind of left the barn on that. It's here now. We yeah. Have to and, and I do see it more and more. In, at least in the bigger markets, uh, the big cities, more and more consolidation, more and more of, of big, you know, it used to be, and, uh, and you know, I've been able to survive, but it used to be the, despite this, but the, it used to be the big advertising firms would settle what they could pre-lit and then refer out litigation. And now a lot of them have realized it's, they would be better off hiring good litigators and paying them well, um, and they don't do that as much anymore. Uh, and so it's those firms are eating up a lot more of the cases, putting a lot more money into advertising. And I think it is getting harder and harder for other people to get sustainable practices. There's ways you can do it, but you've got to have your niche. You've got to have your tribe. You've got to do it really well. Uh, but uh, I do I see that. I agree 100% with that. There's going to be a lot of people who shop at Walmart, but there's going to be uh, probably more people uh, that shop at Walmart. But that that corner hardware store that caters to the niche, the people who need very specific hands-on, I think they can they can still do well. But yeah. you have to decide. You know, unfortunately, I think we're going to have to decide what we want to be. And yeah. we, if you linger in that middle ground, um, you may get get stomped on eventually. And again, I'm not 
being clairvoyant or trying to say that I know what's going to happen. But, you know, the, the people who define their niche um, and go after it really hard generally do very well. Yeah. Um, the firms that you described where where there were a, um, a settlement type firm as opposed to a litigation firm, they have realized, or a lot of them have realized that um, getting that strong litigator can be a plus. Yeah, um, yeah. It's it's tricky because they they it's a different mindset, and yeah. um, you know that's yeah. why quite honestly firms like yours survive so well. You found that niche. And, yeah, uh, yeah. I would much rather they partner with someone like me because selfishly mm-hmm. I would love to get the cases, but you know they have to do what's best for them. And 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 what I found is a lot of those firms, even when they do that there'll still be certain cases uh, where it makes sense to bring in a, a partner to work, whether, whether it's expensive or, or complicated. And frankly, those are the cases that are more fun and more profitable anyway. If I could just work on those and not have to work on some other stuff, it would be fun. Yeah, that's, uh, that's our experience uh, also. But uh, again, you, what you don't want to do is be one of those firms that we're just plowing ahead and not looking about what's going on in the industry and, and not paying attention and just looking for what is our top line and we're shooting for a number. Um, if you can pay attention to those, those clients and what their individual needs are and build systems and processes uh, to address them, um, you know, those are the firms that are most successful and I propose that'll be most successful in the long term also. And just as an aside, uh, one thing I want to add to that, if, if you have referrers, uh, people that refer you cases, especially other lawyers, look at what they want and what's going to make them happy and how you can give them a better experience. Uh, I remember, I remember a very detailed conversation you and I had about that. You actually have two clients. You have the, uh, the other lawyer, the referrer and the actual client and, uh, keeping them happy is, is, is important. And uh, by doing that and, and keeping them in the loop, and I know we develop systems to do that. So yeah. For example, we don't market to our clients for additional cases anymore because we found out that was pissing off our referring lawyers and the referring lawyer is going to have a regular steady stream of cases for us. The client probably isn't, uh, you know, and so that's a choice we made. Now that's not the right choice. I would think most firms ought to be marketing to their clients, their current and former clients to get friends, family, additional cases. But because of my specific business model, it was not, it was counterproductive. That's why I I say (laughs) that every firm is different and finding what your strategy is, and, and, and really setting up your, your processes to go that direction is important. And also, again, I'll, I'll just piggyback on one thing that, that, that I know you do is reporting back to those referrers and letting them know, Hey, we accepted the case. This is the status of the case. And guess what? When we settle, you give them a check and they don't have to call. You know, yeah. those are the things that are important that, uh, that will keep you in business, um, uh, into the future. Yeah, and finding what they want. We have referring lawyers or we have true co-counsel. They want to be on the pleadings. They want to show up to things. We have people that want a monthly meeting to go over the a general status of the case. And we have people that want us to leave, say, if I want to deal with the case, I want to send it to you. And they want us to call them when the check gets there. Uh, and so, and, and, and all in between. And it's finding out, you know, what is your customer want and giving it to them. But you talked about transparency. And, and, uh, and this is something I'm really struggling with. Mm-hmm. And so... You know, one thing I learned, you know, just as an aside, is that when I formed a leadership team, at first it was just lawyers, and we'd be 
operating on what we thought was going on with other parts of the firm. And then we would find out often that what we understood was third hand and three months out of date. And we were solving problems that weren't there anymore. And so we we have non-lawyers on our leadership team now, too, uh, mm -hmm. which has made an incredible difference to have our operations manager and our marketing manager in our leadership team meetings, fully informed, knowing what's going on, including the finances, including, you know, all the issues. Mm -hmm. uh, and I found that transparency has been good. Um, and we're struggling with, you know, some people have worked great remotely. Some people need to come back in the office. Mm -hmm. How do we do that? I know we need to be transparent, but how do we tell people like, you don't do so well out there. You need to come home and well, other people. I, I, I think this is, um, you know, and I don't want to simplify it too much, but it's keep KPIs again. If, if they are not performing at the level they were performing when they were in the office, there has to be a conversation if they don't want to come back in. Now, you could once they realize it, they may change. I, I don't know. But right. um, there ha if anything, Michael, that, that we can help make objective instead of, you know, subjective, you know, it, it is. Um, I, I was, uh, I guess, a brilliant statement. It, it, but if it's objective, it, it's much clearer, easier to understand. If you, hey, if like demands out or whatever right. the KPI is, um, you were doing so much better here than there. And if they say, well, look, my kid's screaming or whatever happened in there, then unfortunately, say, look, we're going to expect the same production, and we need to have that discussion. So, and again, I don't think we go against any any laws or any rules, especially as I feel like, or hopefully we're winding down the pandemic now. Um, you know, what are your requirements? What can you get them to do? I think, it, again, it's communication, <laughs> it's culture, yeah. it's transparency. Um, you know, I have a, a, a good friend who, who you know, uh, who, who formed Vista with me, Chad Dudley. Uh, yeah. He says if it, that that uh, he thinks that the right number is about 10% of the people in your firm should know everything. So what do I mean by that? If you're a 30-person firm, there are probably three people that there should be total 100% transparency. And then you have to be obviously selective. Yeah. Um, but if you're 300 people, that number come, comes to 30. Uh, so yeah. and maybe that doesn't hold true as it goes that far out. But uh Again, we fall on transparency when at all possible. You know, I don't believe in sharing payroll numbers and things right. like that. I mean, there are certain things that that when I say total transparency, it doesn't it doesn't go that far. But hey, you know what? Our paralegal compensation was X, and that's all the paralegals together. You right. don't know who, but those things become relevant, um, and um, and I think can be important. To the others within your firm. I don't know if I hit your answer. You, you did. You, you, because uh, I've got a meeting later this week to start talking about what our rules are going to be, and I just realized now let's come up with an objective set of rules. If you can do X, Y, and Z, and this is how we're going to measure it, you can work from home. If you can't, then you need to work in the office. Yes, and and we have to define what those are and what the outputs should be. And yeah. you know, uh, I think you'll have some people. Uh, I mean, just you know, it's a bell curve, of course, but you'll have some people who embrace that, and some people who who for one reason or another, just can't do it. You yeah. know, I, I personally get more done at my office, and I don't know why it is. When I'm at home, there's thousand other things that I could be doing, and um, I I choose now to to do those in the evening on Saturday. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I I have found that uh, now that I'm coming back in the office, having I am I'm here to work and I work, 
and I want to, it's just like when they say, you know, you should only sleep and do one other thing in your bed. You shouldn't read in your bed. You shouldn't get on the computer in your bed. And I break that rule because that way your body knows when I lay down, it's time to go to sleep. I'm using that better. one. You lost, you lost me a while ago. Okay. I'm, I'm using <laughs> and, uh, and, but that's what the sleep extra thing. You'll fall asleep more quickly because your, your body knows I'm laying in bed. There's no one next to me. It's time to go to sleep. Yeah. Uh, and so there is that when I get to when I get to the office, I'm so much more productive because my brain knows, OK, I'm in, the work, I'm in my workplace. And then when I get home, OK, you know, I can get home. I can talk to my kids. I can watch TV. I can, you know, make dinner for my wife, whatever it's going to be. I'm not in the workplace. And, it, and when I have that separation and then my you know, I've got a like a 21 mile drive between the two places. So it gives my mind time to make that adjustment. And it is it's so it's much interesting healthier. how our brains work. And we can yeah. get into a discussion. I've read a lot about our limbic system and, you know, what how we think. And, yeah, when we walk into places, it makes us feel this way. Uh, very interesting, very interesting thoughts uh, yeah. there. But. Anyway, look, I, I very much appreciate you uh, letting me come back and talk to Absolutely. you. Absolutely. One last, I know we're out of time, but if uh, if someone wants to work with you or wants to learn more about you, and I, I know you, you're transformational, not just in my firm, but helping me get through some really existential struggles uh, when we had a partnership breakup and some other things that could have taken me down. Uh, and you really held my hand and gave me some great guidance and got me through it. If, if someone else wants to check you all out or learn more about you, what are some things that they can do? I'll give you three ways. There's our website. It's just www.vistavistact.com. The CT is consulting team. So www.vistact.com. Uh, my email address is uh, tmckey at vistact.com. Or you can call me on my cell phone, and it's uh, 225-931-7045. And if I can't get to it, which sometimes that happens, I will return the call, or we'll have someone you know, get in touch with you. And uh, um, we'd love to hear from you. And we'll have a link to the to your website and also to the conference uh, that's coming up here in May. You said May 6th? May 6th and 7th uh, in Dallas at the Adolphus. And we've got really some great speakers. I'm very excited about uh that uh, we have a, a guy from Franklin Covey um, who, to talk about leadership and management. And we have a guy named Dave D, who is an expert in NLP, which is Neuro Linguistic Programming. If you don't know anything about that, it's fascinating. can help in your intake department and help with picking juries and that kind of thing. So uh, those are just the two, two uh, uh, big, big speakers, and we have a lot of others also. So love okay. to have you. Thank you so much for joining me, and uh, I'll probably be talking to you about a few other things soon. Uh, just as we're making some transitions, I might need a little bit of advice, especially since you've added, we didn't have time to get this, you know, some some people in, in culture and leadership uh, to your team, right. and that's my big focus of the firm. So we will be in touch, and thank you so much for joining us today, Tim. No, you're very welcome. Thank you so much. Thank you for joining us on Trial Lawyer Nation. I hope you enjoyed our show. If you'd like to receive updates, insider information, and more from Trial Lawyer Nation, sign up for our mailing list at triallawyernation.com. You can also visit our episodes page on the website for show notes and direct links to any resources in this or any past episode. To help more attorneys find our podcast, please like, share, and subscribe to our podcast on any of our social media outlets. If you'd like access to exclusive, plaintiff lawyer-only content and live monthly discussions with me, Send a request to join the Trial Lawyer Nation Insider Circle Facebook group. 
Thanks again for tuning in. I look forward to having you with us next time on Trial Lawyer Nation. Each year, the law firm of Cowan Rodriguez Peacock pays millions of dollars in co-counsel fees to attorneys nationwide on trucking and commercial vehicle cases. If you have an injury case involving death or catastrophic injuries and would like to partner with our firm, please contact us. You can reach Delisi Friday by calling 210-941-1301 or send an email to delisi at cowanlaw.com. That's D-E-L-I-S-I at cowanlaw.com. She will coordinate a time for Michael Cowan to speak with you in person or by phone to discuss the case in detail and see where we can add value in a partnership. This podcast has been hosted by Michael Cowan. It is not intended to, nor does it create the attorney-client privilege between our host, guest, and any listener for any reason. Content from the podcast is not to be interpreted as legal advice. All thoughts and opinions expressed herein are only those from which they came.